Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Like I said, I don't think there could have been a, a better podcast for, for me to be on to tell to tell my story because like wrestling was the turning point in, in, in my life. And I don't usually do podcasts, but I saw this one. I was like, I, I gotta I gotta I gotta talk to this guy. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the one and only Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. My guest today is Anthony Constantino. He's the co-founder of Sticker Mule, which he has grown from scratch over the past 10 years to one of the world's best brands. They work with Nike, Netflix, Facebook, Twitter, doing stickers and magnets. And actually, listeners of this episode will get a free Wrestling Change My Life sticker. If you tweet the episode and tag Sticker Mule, as well as myself, if you want, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, bottom line, tweet the episode, tag Sticker Mule, and they will send you a free Wrestling Change My Life sticker on the house. I think that's what free means. Fan of the week goes to Tom Rusk. Tom is the assistant coach at my alma mater, Geneseo High School, and since I'm down at the Illinois State Tournament today recording this intro, I thought it was only fitting since Tommy and I put back a few soda pops last night. If you just can't get enough of the podcast outside of these episodes, go to our website, wrestlingchangemylife.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, wrestlingchangemylife, as well as Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner. That's it, folks. Let's get to the episode with Anthony Constantino. But please don't forget, free wrestling changed my life sticker coming your way if you tag Sticker Mule and share this episode on Twitter. Peace! Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Sticker Mule co-founder Anthony Constantino. How are you, sir? Great. Great to be here, Ryan. Really appreciate you coming on the show, man. We were just talking beforehand. Yeah, you obviously... Had a beginning in wrestling, and that shaped and molded your life. And now you're, uh, you know, running uh, one of the top internet companies, uh, Sticker Meal. And so, would love to just kind of start with your origin story. Where'd you grow up, and what kind of kid were you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm from a small town upstate New York called uh, Amsterdam. And when I saw, I actually saw you um, through Twitter. You know, you shouted us out, and the the, the tweet went sort of viral because you were excited about the stickers. And I saw the name of the podcast is Wrestling Changed My Life, and I thought like right away, I was like, wow, this just like you couldn't have put it better, you know, how wrestling did change my life and change the life of so many people. And right away I asked somebody to reach out to you and, and that's why I'm here. But, um, you know, I thought about it and I've always told people wrestling was a turning point in my life because anyone that knew me pre-wrestling, my friends that still tease me, I was, uh, I guess an average kid. I was below average in athletics. I mean, I was, I was as a, I was the kid that, you know, never got to be on anyone's team. I mean, they didn't even want me on the dodgeball team. I played, my mom made me play Little League and, you know, they stuck me in the outfield if I even got to play. I, I played basketball for a few years and I don't think I ever made a basket. I had no athletic ability, whatever. And I had, uh, I had no uh, academic ability either as, as a young kid. I had C's and um, C's in most of my classes. And, and I, I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't get into trouble or nothing, but there just wasn't a lot to be uh, excited about with me. And as I got Towards uh, high school, I think my mom started getting nervous about the situation because she saw, you know, I, w I wasn't really, I wasn't doing nothing bad, but I wasn't going anywhere. She got nervous, and I think she did what a lot of nervous parents do. They say, she's like, I got to put my kid in private school and hope that fixes the situation. So she stuck me in a, in a private school, and I remember being terrified because uh, the thing that uh, was told to me was <clears throat> I was going to be forced to uh, play three sports. 
And I remember talking to my friends and saying, this is going to be, be terrible. Like I, I got to do sports and I, I, I can't do, I can't do anything. I can't hit a baseball. I can't shoot a basketball. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't even play, play mini golf very well. So <clears throat> I got there and, and right away I'm like, well, you know, you got to hunt for the easy sports. So I hunted <laughs> for uh I went, you know, right away, all right, well, uh, you know, cross country, that sounds easy. You're, you're supposed to go running every day. I joined the team. We're supposed to go on three-mile runs every day, but instead I went on uh, three-mile long walks, uh, you know, and, and went as slow as I could go. And, and I ended up making friends with, with one of the kids on the team, and uh, his name was Chris Russo, and he said, you know, you should, you should join the, the wrestling team next. That's the next thing you should do. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, wrestling is easy, too. All we do is play mat ball all day. we got this great coach. And uh, we just, you know, we just screw off all day, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So I thought, uh, I th- all right, I don't even know what Matt Ball is, but I guess I can, I can do that. So I, I signed up to do wrestling, and uh, the day I started, I found out the, this, this like amazing coach that let us play Matt Ball all day had left, and we, we got a new coach. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know what I was in for, but you know, we, we had a huge team to start because people loved it. You know, it was like the sport everyone went to to, to escape doing anything difficult, and. Uh, we had about 40 kids on the team and, and the new coach had a different attitude. He was, you know, a lot of wrestling coaches are, um, are difficult. And I had a number of wrestling coaches, a number of coaches after this, I would say he was on the, the high end of the spectrum of, of, uh, challenging. And so I went from running three miles a day and, you know, walking three miles a day in cross country to having a wrestling coach that all of a sudden did five mile runs for, uh, for warmups. And, uh, we did all sorts of crazy stuff and, 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 and it was brutal. The team, the team's, I said, started at 40, we dropped to 10 and, and I, uh, had what was probably the, uh, worst opening season of like any wrestler in history. I went out my first match and I got pinned in, in nine seconds. And, and I, I, I ended up my first year of wrestling, I ended up, um, never making it out of the first period. I don't even think I made it past the minute mark. I just went out and it was instant pin every time. And I don't know what happened. Like I said, my coach was, uh, I don't know. We, we, you know, I don't know. I, I, like, he was an inspirational guy to me, but I mean, to a lot of people, he was a bit on the overly difficult side. But um, even though I, I was losing and losing and losing, and it was terrible, there was there was something about the experience of seeing everyone quit the team and not want to stick with it that uh, inspired me and, and and made me for the first time think to myself, um, you know, maybe here's something to be proud about. Even if I'm losing every match in the worst way possible. Maybe this is something to be proud about that. And, and, and he kind of instilled that in us. And, and a few of us stuck together and said, look, this team started with 40 kids and we're down to like 12, which wasn't the best thing in the world for the program. But, um, you know, those of us that stuck around, we're proud that we, we got through it and, uh, and survived. So, um, you know, that was the beginning of my wrestling experience. I was a terrible wrestler, but I, I survived. And the next year I continued to be a ter- terrible wrestler. I remember um, midway through my second season, making it out of the first period finally and being so surprised to go to the coin toss and whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when, when the ref blew the whistle, I just freaked out and instantly got pinned. And then I don't think it was till the end of my sophomore year that I finally won a match or two. And then my junior year, I, I got a, a handful of wins. I still was a, uh, a terrible wrestler. But um, luckily, I got a new coach. We got a new coach that took a different approach and um, – you know, I had a, the first one was very difficult, um, athletically and physically demanding. And the second one was a more motivational guy and taught us to believe in ourselves. And you get coached to like, just be tough. And this new one said, look, you know, he, he taught us to believe in ourselves and teach us believe that we could do anything. And, um, one of the things he says, he said, you know, I want you to, uh, visualize where you're going to be at the end of every season and, and put it down. And, and I remember going into my senior year, I, I had accomplished nothing nothing in wrestling. No one thought anything of me. And he said, I want you to put down where, where you're going to see yourself at the end of the year. And, uh, I don't know why, but I put down that I was going to, uh, take second in the section, which, um, if you know, I mean, every state's different and the rules have changed now, but back then in New York state, uh, you had to win the section to advance to, to states. And there was only one section. Now they split the section to small section, small mm-hmm. school sectionals, big school sections, but it was, we were all grouped together. So, you know, I said I was going to do this. I, I put it down. I think it was only between, you know, me and him. And uh, it seemed like the craziest thing in the world because I was probably one of the worst performing athletes on the team. And in my high school's history, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that in other schools that do better. But in the history of my high school, only one kid had made it to the sectional finals. And so for me, to think I was going to do that was crazy. And, it, you know, it ended up happening. 
Let alone, um, so no one had even made it to state, let alone the sectional finals. In no, from my high school, no one had, only one person prior to me had made it to the sectional finals. And I ended up being the second person in my high school's history to make it to the sectional finals after having what was probably the uh, the worst record of any any wrestler um, ever. And, and that was really... What was the turning you know, point there? So I mean, you've been working hard for three years. You're physically getting fit. You're mentally getting tougher, so to speak. But what happened between that junior and senior year with that coach? And what were some of the big changes that you look back on? Um, you know, he taught me to believe in myself and that, like, if you look at wrestling now and you look at high school wrestlers, like a lot of times they're losing, you know, eight to six matches, seven to four matches. And the difference in three points at the high school level really is like a lot of it is belief in yourself. And it's, it's unbelievable, like that the difference it is. But the one thing I remember telling myself, well, there's 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 um there's two things that I I did. But the one thing I ended up telling myself was, um, you know, I looked at these kids that were winning. There was kids, you know, there's, there's people that win states as freshmen. Yep. Probably people that win states as eighth graders. And I said to myself, look. I'm 17 years. I was I was actually young for my eyes. I was like I was 16. Um, I turned 17 midway through my my senior year, and um, I remember I said, look, look, if these kids can win states as a 13 year old, like when you're 12, look, I don't care how good you are. When you're 12 years old, you still haven't hit pu- puberty yet. You're 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 not fully developed. Your mind's not fully developed. You're still a 12 year old. Right. And if you can go from being a 12 year old kid that's really a kid, I don't care if you've been wrestling your whole life, you're still a kid, and then go out and win states. I said, what does it matter if I've lost horribly every other year? What what does it matter? Like if a 12, if a 13 year old can win States as a 16 year old or, you know, 17 year old, I can take second in a section, even if it's never been done before in my school. So, um, you know, I, I told myself that and, uh, you know, that, that inspired me. And then I just started thinking about like the sport of wrestling, uh, in general. And like, I, I, what I noticed in wrestling that stuck with me to this day is, um, you know, a lot of kids, they just chase the, uh, the, the record like are they there's a lot of kids they're like their goal they're so proud to say they're a captain of their team mm-hmm. and nothing wrong with that but some people in wrestling are so proud to say they're captain of their team and some kids are just so proud to win the the you know whatever i don't know the, the leagues or whatever you call it and, and um there's varying degrees of success and how people view success in wrestling and some people say i gotta win win uh the regional some people say i gotta win state some people say i gotta win national some people say i gotta go to the olympics one day and depending upon how you think of the sport or, you know, what you think your, your, your metric for success is like you approach the sport, uh, you know, you approach the sport differently. So once I said to myself, you know, I wanted to be in the sectional finals, I just thought the sport differently. And I remember looking at, um, there was a kid from, uh, from my, uh, my, my area, Matt Harrington, I believe he won, he'd gone to States four times. He's one of the best wrestlers in the area. And he did an interview and he talked about his uh, training program to, to achieve what he had achieved. And he talked about, you know, I woke up every morning and I ran five miles and I went to practice and then after practice, I did more stuff. And what it occurred to me was up until that point, I think a lot of high school wrestlers believe that uh, wrestling ability is sort of like an intrinsic gift. The kids that are amazing, it's just because they're amazing. That's all it really is. And when I read this article, I said, you know, everyone worshiped this kid as like a god of wrestling at, at that time. And, and it, it wasn't that he was god. He was training harder than anyone. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it was. So I said, look, if I want to be, if I want to get better wrestling, I got, I got to train like this guy. I can't, why would I suddenly become good? Just, just sitting here and, and hoping for it to happen. Like this kid that everyone thinks is a superstar and everyone views as having his godlike abilities. He's not God. He's waking up every morning and, and running five miles. And he, and he had a mentality that of, you know, of, of winning and, and, uh, yeah. And, and you, you needed that, you needed that mentality. How, how, so how mental, how much of wrestling do you think is mental versus physical at that level? And how much was it for yeah. you? I mean, it's unbelievable because when I first started wrestling, I was this scrawny kid. And, uh, I, you know, I said I lost a lot. And the, the team captain was this big, tough guy, football player. And he was he was a 215-pounder. Was a, uh, and he just had a reputation for being tough and, and scary. And, and um, everyone said – he said to me just to cheer me up one day, he said, Constantino, you know, wrestling's 90% mental. And I was like, this guy's just saying nonsense. And, you know, by the end, you realize that it, it really – it really is like, I mean, at that level, I mean, right. at the high school level, it's unbelievably mental. I mean, probably once you get beyond that, like, you know, other things come into play. But at the high school level, kids don't realize the extent to which it's, um, you know, it's all in your head. And there was a breaking point in my season where, you know, you do drills and practice and, and stuff like that. And I remember just saying to myself, like, prior, I had, the, you know, you, you play this game with your friends where you're like, all right, I'll let you win one and I win one and, you know, you screw around. And then there was a certain point where I was like, I'm going to win every drill in practice. I'm going to give my all every moment of practice. I'm not going to hold back at any time. And, 
And I think once I took that attitude on, you know, I was like, oh, this this is what it means to actually like wrestle. You don't go in and just play around. Like you got it. You take every minute seriously because you're there for three hours, and and uh, you know you take every minute seriously. And once I got that attitude, you know, my, everything just just kind of changed. Was that the was that the first time in your life where you really went all in on anything, regardless of school, sport? You know. Yeah, it was the first. It was the first thing I ever uh, succeeded at in life. I mean, and the funny thing is, you know, looking back. I did, you know, I mean, I, I remember my goal because I said, you know, second in the section, and uh, I don't know why. In, in retrospect, you know, why second? But, you know, for me, it was so unbelievable to be second. I was happy with that. And then it was so unbelievable that, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't even think of going to college for wrestling. So I had already applied to colleges, and I had already got into college before my season even ended just for, for uh, academics. And, you know, I ended up going, you know, my season ended, and, and wrestling ended for me, and, and I ended up going to um, – college and uh out near boston i went to a small school out there because i didn't have great grades and i you know i couldn't get in and anywhere impressive and I, and I started there and um people said you know you should think about wrestling still and so I, I kept training at that point and i remember um there was a kid that had a reputation for being you know one of the top brains in the school or whatever you want to call it and you know he, he said he said constantino you're just a dumb jock and you know like that line like you're just a dumb jock you're never gonna amount to to anything you know i was training running going to the gym and, and i said to myself like when he said that i said you know this, this is annoying and, and it's ridiculous because i figured out how to go from a terrible wrestler to meeting my goals you know in a short amount of time like why don't i just figure out the keys to becoming a good student so he said that to me early my in my first year of college and I, you know, I decided to use the same, use what I did in wrestling to figure out how to conquer academics. And I ended up getting, uh, I don't know, three, eight or a four Oh, uh, my first year of college and, uh, saying like, this isn't, you know, I, I'm gonna get the hell out of here and go someplace better. So I applied to uh, school for wrestling and I applied, I applied to wrestling programs and I applied to, um, to RPI, which was like a top academic school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got into both, and I remember having a conversation with my friend, and 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 uh, he said to me, you know, you're gonna have to make, you know, you you can't wrestle forever, but like, you know, academics is gonna be forever. And he said you should probably go the route of academics. And at the same time, I had a girlfriend in the area, so there <laughs> I don't you know go. Because <laughs> of the route of academics, because of the girlfriend, probably more the girlfriend than uh, than anything else. But uh, you know, I ended up from there going to um, to. Uh, RPI and, and, and having and become, you know, leaving leaving athletics completely. You know, I stopped in the gym and and I embraced uh, embraced academics, you know, entirely. So your whole well, life I took, a, I took a lot of lessons of wrestling, you know, um, along with me. Well, that's what I was going to say is like your whole life in terms of the per your purpose and what you believe you're capable of change because of, you know, because of four years in high school. That's pretty incredible. You know, it, yeah, I mean, really one because like that end year where things changed so quickly. And like, from that, I learned that you can master anything quickly. I mean, that, that was like the interesting lesson for me that was like, wow, I went from terrible to good quickly. And so whatever obstacle gets put in front of me, and I was like, well, why can't I go from terrible to good at this as well quickly? I mean, I figured it out in wrestling and, and I learned a certain tricks um, to, to doing it. Like the most important trick is learn from the best. So, you know, if you look at the people I took advice from, I mean, the, the turning point for me was reading this article in the paper with the, the kid that was the number one kid in our area at the time, explaining how he approached the sport of wrestling. And I said, I'm going to listen to this kid. I stopped. I didn't listen. I mean, I listened to him. I listened to like coaches I respected, but um, I think that stuck with me in life, learn from the best and, and ignore all the rest. I mean, year as a kid and as an adult, you just get hit with so much advice in life about how to pursue things. And you're getting hit with advice from people that oftentimes haven't done what you want to do. So, right. you know, that, that stuck with me the, 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 is, you know, learn from people that really know what they're doing, like search for that person in whatever, whatever field it is you're trying to, uh, to conquer and, and find that person and, and learn from, learn from them. Um, you know, I learned that from wrestling, I learned to, you know, don't waste time. Like I said, when I was in practice and before you, you're, you're, you're screwing around and playing games and having fun, and then my mindset switched to, look, I'm only here three hours a day. In high school, you know, the season's only three or four months. Like, don't waste any time. Go 100% in every moment and rest when you're done. That that works, you know, for everything, too, because when you're trying to level up quickly, whatever it is, you know, that attitude works, too. When you combine seeking out the best advice and then, and then uh, 
you know, applying it aggressively um, <laughs> and to, you tend to, to, to uh, change quickly. And then, you know, the other thing that, that, um, that, you know, occurred to me like during wrestling too, is like, I don't, I mean, it, it seems obvious now, but you know, you got to expect to win at things. It, it seems obvious now, but I mean, there wasn't a wrestling match in my entire career where I was thinking I was going to lose or where I was nervous and I ended up like winning. That never happened. I was never like, Oh my God, I can't believe I won that. I mean, yeah, it just never happened. I mean, I had matches where I expected to win that I lost only maybe only really, I only, I only, I lost one match that I expected to win. Um, but you know, that's not so bad. <laughs> right. I mean, your friends must have noticed a drastic change because all of a sudden you're going into matches where you're going to get pinned in the first period. No big deal. It doesn't seem to bother you. You're kind of going along with emotions, and now you're a man possessed. I mean, did anyone say to you, dude, what the hell happened to you? Oh, they just thought it was funny because, uh, you know, I hung out with, um, you know, it's fun. I went to a, I went to a um, my mom made me go to private school. I didn't want to go, go there. And I got lucky because the private school wanted to win at sports. They wanted to win at football in particular. So they would give scholarships, and, and they would bring in all these kids from the inner city to mm-hmm. uh, play football. And I, I couldn't get along with the traditional private school kids at all. I ended up hanging out with all these like inner city football players. And they were all, I mean, I was tiny. I wrestled 132 pounds. These guys were all 220 pounds, you know, football studs. Some of them went on to play pro football and stuff like that. And they remember seeing me the, the, the first day of, of, um, high school. And I, you know, I, I, I gravitated to them right away, but you know, they were like, we remember looking at you and thinking your kid's the biggest dork. We were just like, why does he want to be our friend? He just looks like such a dork. I mean, I had a terrible haircut and, uh, <laughs> I had no muscle and I had this little pot belly and it was, it was horrible. You know, it was horrible. But, uh, you know, I don't know. They, they, they ended up liking me because, you know, we, we got along with a lot of, you know, we're all friends to this day, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they thought it was the funniest thing ever. And then, I mean, next thing you know, you're you're making things happen, and now you know you you're in the trenches at Sticker Mule. How long has Sticker Mule been going for? We're coming up on our tenth anniversary, so that's tenth amazing. Tenth anniversary, wow! Yeah. So I read yeah. that when you founded the company, uh, co-founded of the company, you were with uh, your partner and in front of a lawyer, and they're like, "What do you want to sell?" And they're like, well, "We don't know." Yeah, is that yeah, a? You know, my, my co-founder is an amazing guy and, and he, you know, he doesn't have a background in athletics, but he's got a very similar mindset. Like he was uh, 70 years old at the time we started it. He got through his whole career without ever using a computer. And he, uh, he got one for the very, for the very first time just before Christmas 2009, because he loved betting horses and he heard that you could do it on the internet more easily. And so he was asking for help using the com- computer and learning the internet. And I just started BSing about starting a company uh, and uh, he said, well, what would we even do? I said, well, I'd manufacture stuff. And, you know, and I showed him a few websites and he come and saw me the next day. And I shouldn't say this, but he, he specifically come and saw me the next day. And he said, and Anthony, he said, I, I thought about what you said last night while drinking a bottle of vodka. And I wrote a bunch of notes and decided we should start a company together. And, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, he was, and uh, you know, that was his, that's his style. And I mean, was his style. He backed up. But anyways, but, um, you know, I said, uh, I, you know, I had some self doubt and he said, uh, and I said, you know, what, what makes you think we could do this? And he said, you know, you got a personality or you don't like to, you don't fail at anything. I don't like to fail at anything. He said, I never even saw the internet before, but I'm not going to fail at this and you aren't either. So let's get going. So he said, I want you to decide today if you want to do it. And so, I said, you know, how did you I, meet I, this character before this? You know, he was, uh, a, um, he was actually my, um, he was actually my high school tutor, my high school math tutor. I was, I was a bad student. He was a friend of my friend of the family and he's a math genius. And, uh, he, uh, you know, he, uh, yeah, he, he dragged me through high school mathematics, which was, uh, you know, one of the only classes I did good in, but, um, you know, but it was, I never, I had a tutor the whole time. I never told anyone. So <laughs> I got to know him through that and we become friends and, uh, you know, we, we, we stayed friends or we're, you know, we're probably, probably the best of friends, but, uh, even though we're, we're not a couple, I mean, he's, he's 80 now and I'm, I'm, I'm 37 now. And so in yourself before this, after college up to 2009, how did you get involved with manufacturing and, and production and that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I'm from a small town and like, I, I liked manufacturing. I worked in manufacturing in, in college and, um, you know, it's good to work different jobs. You know, my, I, I went, I worked, my first job was as a dishwasher. Then I worked in manufacturing and then I worked in, um, 
you know, I thought, you know, you read these books about uh, real estate and stuff like that. I thought I wanted to do that. And I had a, like, uh, I, I begged this company to like, let me do an internship at a real estate company. And it was office work. And uh, I hated it. It was like the, it was the most torturous thing ever. And after that experience, I just said to myself, like, I didn't want to be in an office job. I wanted to be working in manufacturing. So, you know, I went right into manufacturing right after college. It was the thing I enjoyed the most. And I think I love I love manufacturing because when I started, I said like the, the, I don't know, the, the people are just fun, easy people. I mean, it was it was an, it was an easy transition for me. It's just it's, it's just a fun environment and it's a no nonsense environment. It's a very welcoming environment. I mean, as long as you show up to work every day, almost anyone can work in manufacturing. You get such a wide range of personalities, and I had a blast. I, I, I love the people, and I, that's that's where I wanted to be. So you know, I went I went there straight away, and I, I um, it worked. It worked out well for me. I mean, I, I like that uh, environment. The people like me, I got I, I got along and I got along with everyone. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I ended up. When did you take it from that, though, to just to being in that environment and and enjoying it to being kind of a student of it? Because I've heard you've you've kind of read, read and wrote papers on different principles of manufacturing. And did you just kind of apply that same yeah, principle you know, of wrestling like to that? that? I learned from the best. Right. So yeah. when I was in college, I had this there was only one professor I really liked in college. And he was a guy that was also, uh, well, he had, a, he had a great career, military career. He had an amazing business career. He's a vice president of a company called Raytheon, which is a massive company yep. and manufacturing company. And, um, you know, he said like, whatever you pursue in life, he liked to simplify it to just basic principles that you could, you know, work off of. So he had principles of, uh, he gave me a document. He said, these are my principles of how I approach teaching. And I just, I, that, that stuck with me as well. Like the idea of like making principles. So, you know, as I started growing the company, I didn't like the idea of just constantly having to make decisions without knowing like what my basis was for making decisions. And as the company grew, I had to pass on my systems for doing things onto other people. So for every area of the company, I just started saying like, this is my approach to how I, how I do it. Um, you know, I wish I did that when I was wrestling, you know, but you know, you can say just principles, athletics, like how do you, you know, what are, what are, what's, what are the eight to 10 rules you're going to follow to succeed at whatever it is you're doing. So I wrote that for everything, marketing, um, manufacturing, like, uh, even you know, I have principles for how we do copywriting at sticker mill, but you know, I like to have a system for how we, how we do things because it, it just works and things that ring true to me. And I, you know, I edit them over time, but, um, but I think, yeah. But, uh, what yeah. are, what are, so I, and I was actually on my sticky note here, there's a couple of subjects I always write down. One of them for our conversation was principles. And so yeah. I've heard you talk a lot about that and I have them up on my board there too. Like it's, it's really, it simplifies things because, you know, if decisions conflict with those, obviously it's, yeah. it's, you're going to toss it out. So what are some of the principles you've used to help grow sticker meal to, to, to what the company it is now? I think the favorite ones move quickly. I mean, number one, move quickly. Um, like I said, I got that from my co-founder. He moved quickly starting a company. I also got it from wrestling. You know, you don't waste the, you don't waste time in your season. Um, the other one I think is uh, like I got from wrestling. Learn like what you know. What's I'd say like what's your yardstick or what's your metric for success? And that goes back to just seeing kids that, like I said, if you just want to be the captain of your team, that's all you're going to be. And in business, there's a lot of people. And it's not wrong. I mean, you got to decide what makes you happy because. You can stress yourself out going crazy, but you know, there's a lot of people in business that just want to be like a small successful business or they want to be the richest person in their small town. Yep. And I, I'm from a small town. Like if I wanted to be just the most successful person in my town, like I probably did that a few years ago, but, um, you got to think like, well, what's your goal? And so wrestlers that like, you see wrestlers, like, I want to be in the Olympics. I want to be the best wrestler all the time. I thought about business the same way. I mean, I don't know if I want to be the, the greatest in the history of business, but I looked at it and said, well, who's the best at business? Like, I, I think you could argue probably Amazon is, is, is amazing. I mean, Jeff Bezos is amazing Zappos. businessman. I, I don't, I don't agree with the, the philosophy and, and, and endless growth. I don't, I don't agree with his philosophy towards business, but just seeing, thinking about that and saying like, what's it mean to really be the best? You know, I want to be the best at whatever I do in, in, in my own way. And, um, having that attitude helped me because if not, I would have been, you know, you get satisfied early. Somebody said, uh, what was it? Tyson Fury said, uh, after he won, he said, stay, uh, stay humble, stay hungry. You know, it makes it, it you gotta be that. Like if, if you're not hungry, like you're not going to want to keep growing. And, and at a certain point, you know, you got to calm down, but, um, but yeah, you gotta, that you gotta have that, uh, desire to be the best and you got to understand what it means to be the best if you just say geez i i 
I made money. I, I, I built a company and I won. It's over. You know, um, it's sort of like saying, well, I became captain of my wrestling team. It's over. I'm an amazing wrestler. No, it's, it's not true. Yeah, it's, it's never ending. And when you look at your how you structure your day, week and year, are you a big planner? Like, do you plan every Sunday for the week? And huh. what does that look like? No, 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 I don't plan at all. I'm not a planner at all. I take every day as it comes. Um, I take every day as it comes. I move, I move quickly when, when opportunities present themselves, but, uh, you know, I try not to drive myself crazy. I mean, you can get crazy doing a lot of things that don't matter. And I try to keep myself calm and, 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 and do things that, um, make sense. And I don't believe in busy work and, and stuff like that. I believe in doing things that are, are impactful. I think the same's true. And you could probably say that comes from wrestling too, because I don't, I don't know, it's probably mixed opinions on this, but there's a lot of like one thing that I changed in my wrestling towards the end was I, I stopped running as much as I used to. Like, you know, yeah. I used to run tremendously and, and that's not making you a better wrestler. It's just, you know, it, I, I don't think it is. It, I mean, it didn't work for me. It was, it was just busy work in a way. I, mean, I would you agree hundred percent. Like, yeah. miles a day. It's just busy work and people do a lot of busy work in business too. And, and, and to get good at wrestling. I said, well, what are the things I really need to do to get good at wrestling? And what are the things I really need to do to get good at, uh, to, you know, to make the company grow. And so what does that look like for you now? Is it focusing on efficiencies in the plants? Is it um, marketing, the customer experience? I mean, what are, what are some of the things you really think move the needle for Sticker Mule? You know, it's interesting. Uh, we were talking about, I started boxing recently again. And um, I use the same process. I'm like, I used to improve Sticker Mule to, to figure out how to box. And uh, that was basically to say, like, I think, like, what's the biggest problem I'm facing? I list out my biggest problems and I, and I solve the biggest problems first. And like, as you solve big problems, like, um, you know, new problems, as you solve big problems, the company grows and new problems present themselves, but right. you got to solve your biggest challenges first. So, I mean, if you look at boxing, for example, when I started, I started boxing as a 36 year old, uh, out of shape, uh, CEO, like with <laughs> a belly and everything. And I said like, one of the first things that I need to resolve is uh, endurance. I need to get my endurance back because if I'm tired, I can't train that much. So right. like, there's no big problem right now. This needs to get solved. I need endurance. And I hated, I used to, I, I, like, I hated running. I hated cardio. But once I realized like, this is my biggest problem, solve the cardio. Once that's solved, you can spend more time working on technique. Um, you know, I thought, I thought of boxing that way. And once I started getting into it, I started, as I was fighting, noticing um, different muscle groups fail. Right. Like I didn't even realize like my feet were burning. <laughs> okay. And so I started, you know, you start doing jump rope. You like you resolve these problems like so that they don't exist anymore. So, you know, you do jump rope, you do stuff so like your feet don't burn anymore. So you can stay in the fight and, and that problem's gone. And then you notice she's now that your feet aren't burning, your you know, your shoulders are burning. And then, and so you gotta resolve that. And then you know, she's maybe my legs aren't as conditioned as they need to be. So then you resolve that. And then once you knock out all these big problems, you keep leveling up as a fighter and um you know, you, you think like, well, geez, maybe now I need to learn some technique and you, you got, but you got to think like, what's the, what's the, uh, you know, what's the biggest challenge facing you? And, and I think yeah, probably top wrestlers are thinking the same thing. Like what's, what is it that's holding me back as a wrestler right now? I mean, I've, I've conquered this, 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 and this, like, what is the part of my game that's lacking? And, um, you know, business is a hundred percent the same. So you focus on the biggest challenges ahead of you. And if you can, it's kind of that principle by Gary Keller, the one thing, like what's the one thing you can do that will make the rest of the choices meaningless or insignificant, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and if you can take care of that, the rest will follow. Have you, uh, you talk about learning from the best and now that you're saying it, it really makes a lot more sense why you base your HR principles off of Google, right? Or like, yeah, exactly. it's like the same thing. Like why would you know, go to the best, do what they do? It's speaking of you know, manufacturing, have you ever taken a deep dive at the Toyota production system um, and kind of how that got started? You know, I know all that stuff. I, you know, I, I know a lot of that stuff. I'm, I'm a weird, he's like, I'm weird in this regard. I, I like a lot of stuff, but some of the stuff gets over exaggerated. I mean, I'm a big believer in like common sense principles and just doing what makes sense. And they're actually, I can't, you know, <laughs> there's a book, there's only one book in manufacturing. I can't remember the name of it. I can sense the afterwards. That's, that's actually really good in my opinion. And it takes an objective view of all the different uh, systems and says like what makes sense from a, from a common sense um, it's not point called, of view. Because, uh, hold on. What is that? You would never find it because it's one of those like not popular books, but um, okay. I don't, you know, I don't, it, it, manufacturing is weird. Like I don't, I don't love most of the literature out there. I think, I think most of it's not good. Um, I'm lucky my co-founder was a big manufacturing guy and I don't know. I figured things out as I, as I went. That's, that's one area, you know, it's funny. People have, I'm a 
big believer. I've, I've, I've handed off the work of the company to a lot of people and I'm a big believer in like handing things off and right. putting people in the best places and people give me hard time. Like I still run manufacturing and people say why. And like, I, I'm, I try to be a humble person, but in this regard, like I think I'm probably one of the best there is in this field. Um, I, I don't know. I've been doing it. I'm, 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 I'm 37 now. I've been doing it for 15 years and I've, I've done it well for 15 years and I figured out a lot of stuff and I've read every, most of the books and, and, um, how many and, uh, plants are you guys running right now? Like, uh, more than people would guess. So, uh, three, three, what, what, yeah, we got what two in the are... United States, two in the United States and one in, and one in Europe. So what, what is something that comes up during the day in the life of running, you know, three major plant operations in multiple continents that people would have no idea about? Like what's, what's something that come up in the past week or year even? Um, running a, like, you know, it's a, you know, it's actually kind of, I could say this is funny. People say it's funny. Um, I, I run three plants technically all the plant managers report to me. I barely talk to these guys. I mean, they do such a good, these guys and girls, sorry, they, they do such a good job. Like they, they barely, they barely bother me. And, and, um, I mean, that's, that's sort of interesting in a way. I mean, when I am in it, the thing that comes up and I love it is like, you, you get a lot of interpersonal situations that happen with people and you got to be good at resolving them. You know, that that's probably the number one thing that people don't realize that that people don't realize about manufacturing that can make you a great factory manager is your ability to like empathize with people and help people resolve, resolve their problems. Because, um, when I first started in manufacturing management, it was, I, I just couldn't believe how easy the job was. And like the reason why it was like easy for me is I don't, I think I'm not, I don't know, maybe I'm naturally an empathetic person. I mean, I liked the people I worked with, I cared about them and I, I wanted to help them with whatever problems they had. And because of that, they, they thought I was like the best boss in the world and they just, and whatever I wanted, they just did because they thought I was the nicest guy in the world. And I see all these other manufacturing managers that struggle because they are like, I'm the boss and you're the, you're the worker. And they have this like this adversarial attitude and that doesn't, that's just, it's stupid. It doesn't work. If you take this, the, if you take a, a caring approach towards the people in manufacturing, it's the easiest job in the world because I mean, for, unfortunately they're so biased to thinking their bosses are going to be terrible that if you're thoughtful they're they just love you. And so I think that's one of the keys why our, our factories run so well is like, um, is, you know, I have this approach, all of our managers have this approach because, you know, I don't let jerks work for us. And, um, and yeah, probably the most interesting thing that comes up is, is, is the interpersonal situations that happen in the factory, you know, right. throughout the day. I mean, we had a guy once that, um, he violated, uh, parole for, for traffic violation and he got, he got arrested and they told me, I sent a, uh, I sent a, I sent a lawyer to his, um, to, to the jail to help him out. And he, like, he couldn't believe it. I mean, but it, you know, it didn't cost that much. I mean, the, the, I, I had a good friend of mine. They grabbed me, uh, a, a short while ago. They grabbed me a short while ago and they said, you know, your, your friend, um, he can't see like he's, he's like, he, he was going blind. Okay. And I went and saw him. I said, what's going on? And, and, um, he's like, I can't see. And, uh, I, I said like, well, I said, well, what, what like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, he's like was going blind. He, he had diabetes and he didn't know how to take care of it. And so I grabbed him and I took him to the to the, to the doctor, and um, you know they gave him a plan. And then I grabbed book I grabbed uh, books on how to manage diabetes and the, specifically the diet for it. And um, I sat down with him and his wife and 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 uh, his and um, his kid. And I, I, I put a diet plan together for him. I said, you got to make sure he follows this. And he's, he's been doing great. So, I mean, stuff like that is probably the crazy stuff that happens in manufacturing that people don't realize. But I love how you kind of simplify you know, hundreds of books about servant leadership and all the other buzzwords. You just said, listen, it's basic. Like, it's empathy. It's showing people respect and do the right thing. And yeah. it's going to pay dividends. Like, you simplify a lot of that shit. Um, yeah. And yeah, one yeah. of the stories that really resembles that or kind of – demonstrates that is was it this christmas or last when you gave your employees a thousand dollar check um in yeah, one just, of the countries we yeah we just did that what what happened there you know we had been um we try to do something something nice. i don't yeah we try to do something nice we don't do uh management bonuses at sticker meal because 
it's a hard system to like manage and implement. You can screw up incentive structure. So I said, if I'm ever going to do a bonus, I'm just going to do uniform for everyone. I don't care if you're a factory worker or a software developer or a customer service person, like we're just going to do uniform bonuses. So we had done like smaller uniform bonuses in the past around Christmas. And, you know, it's, we're coming up on our 10th, 10th anniversary. We had a, a phenomenal year and I was looking at the numbers and, um, you know, I said, look, we got to do something really good for people this time. I, th I think I just going to feel like a, a weirdo. And so I asked some people, I got, I got a lot of friends in the factory that I go to for advice. I said, what do you guys think we should do? And they said 500 bucks. And I said, yeah, I think we'll do a thousand. And they were like, you're crazy. And I talked to some other people and they said, you're crazy. I was like, thousand dollars just sounds so good. You got to do a, a thousand. I mean, 500 is like cool, but thousand dollars sounds so cool. So, you know, I said, let's do that. And then like my CFO actually said, she said, why don't we do a thousand dollars after tax? Because, um, that's even cooler. I mean, because it sucks you get a thousand, you think you're getting a thousand and then it turns to whatever, 700, 700. 600. Yeah. Yeah. So we did, we, she actually said, let's do a thousand dollars after tax. And so I said, yeah, let's do that. And, uh, you know, people just went crazy and I wasn't going to say anything about it. Cause we don't, we don't talk about ourselves much at all. I wasn't going to say anything about it. And uh, somebody called me on a Saturday and they said, you know, people are so happy about this. We should put some out there and say, say we did it. And I just drafted a, a tweet. And, and, and he had, like my, like my coworker helped me actually the, the kid that got me into wrestling, his name was Chris Russo. He works for us now. He's our head of, our head of sales. And he, he, he called me on a Saturday and he told me to, to put it out there. So we, we drafted a tweet, we put it out there and it went viral and then we emailed it and it went super viral. We got 40,000 retweets and we got eight, eight million, eight million people saw it. And, and it got, it just, it just went, it went crazy. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I felt a little weird about it because you're like, I didn't like the idea of, uh, you know, taking advantage or saying, you know, bragging, but, uh, you know, a friend of mine, that's actually, um, I got, I got another cool friend. He's a, he's a pro, uh, MMA fighter. And he actually overcame leukemia as a child to become a MMA fighter. Who is and he's, uh, yeah, he's a wild story. Him, he's retired, but, uh, his name's uh, Tommy Marcelino. He's from my hometown. And, okay. uh, I know he's, and he does a lot for make a wish because they came and helped him out when he was a kid. And, and he said, you know, I used to have this attitude too, that if you do something good, you got to do it in secret because if you brag about it, it kind of diminishes it. And he's like, that's nonsense. He goes, if you don't do things in public, you can't inspire other people. And it's important to inspire other people. So, you know, we put it out there and our employees were happy. And, and I think the even cooler thing was 8 million people saw what we did. And, and right away, a few businesses wrote us and said, we did the same thing as you. In fact, one even publicly wrote on Twitter that they, they did the exact same thing as us because of us. And there was a lot of conversation in our local community about raising wages because of what we did. And, and, uh, Hell people. Yeah. So I think it was, it was good. Well, it's awesome because I come from a family where everyone except my brother and I are blue collar, right? Super blue yep. collar. My grandpa was a welder at a case IH factory horrendous working conditions his whole life like 100 yeah. you know what i mean so like that kind of shit goes oh, a long yeah. way there um and we kind of in line with that is you have all these people who support you and trust you and they do really good work but one of the things i found was interesting about sticker mule is you don't put the word quality on your website why ah, is that that's cool you noticed that i don't know it's funny uh it's cool you know so you know it's like one of those things you just you should get taken for a given you know, that, that you do quality work. You should just, if you say you do it, it makes me wonder, is, is, is it really true? You know, it's sort of like saying we're a good company. People are, oh, we're a good company. Are you really a good company? Right. You know, you should just be a good company. You should just do quality work. Uh, so yeah, I don't like saying that. It should just be as a given, like people should see it by the way you behave, by the way you treat people, by the, by, by how good the product actually is. And, and when people say you're a good company, it shouldn't be because you're doing, you know, you're saying you're a good company. People should just know it. I, I always it. felt that was weird when you see that on ingredients, like made with real ingredients. It's like, well, no shit. I would hope it's yeah, made with real so. ingredients. Yeah, I right? So. All natural. All natural. Like, what the hell is it otherwise? Right. And so you you've know. kind of taken that approach where you don't, you're humble in that sense. And it's some of the key, key differentiators for you folks, ironically, is the quality of the stickers. I ordered you yeah. know, a couple hundred. The stickers are incredible quality. <laughs> and then the service and support, that's a differentiator. And it seems to me like that's just something yeah. that's a given for you. Yeah, we had to figure out how to conquer all these things. But like I said, it just goes back to like what I learned in wrestling is there's principles to how to do everything well, how to be a good wrestler, how to be a good whatever, how to do customer support well. And when you first start, you don't know them. And you got to look for people that do know them, steal it from them or learn it from them, adapt exactly. it to the way it makes sense for you, and then and then implement it. You know, I got a comment you said that uh, 
as your, your uncle worked in a factory it was a million degrees yep. and right and, and uh I, I lived that world too i used to like the factory used to be when i was a kid i worked in a factory with a million degrees and and uh in the summer particularly because of machines and all that and uh statistic mills and air conditioned factory which is really cool really wow yeah. oh we had to be because the, the, the machines need it but i mean it's, it's awesome that it is so <laughs> it's, it's really cool <laughs> I, I can imagine people appreciate that because my grandpa, oh, yeah, um, he would come home from work every day at 3.30. And my mom was a single mother. And so my grandmother watched us during the day because she was like you know, an old school homemaker. She never worked. But my grandpa would come home from work at 3.30 every day. And when you heard that door open, you knew he was going to be in such a shitty mood that you'd run to the basement. <laughs> my brother and I would hide yeah. for like first 30 minutes. My grandma would hand him a beer. He'd go sit down, have a beer. Then like 30 minutes later, he would talk to you. But like it, yeah, yeah. that's how miserable these factories are for people, right? So someone like you who's been there um, and has the empathy to say, hey, we're going to you know, air condition our, our factories. We're, yeah. we're going to give a $1,000 bonus. Like you just kind of you forget that those things – um, or even a reality for some people who work. Oh yeah, you know yeah, people like, don't know. We got it good. Most imagine you're living in like it's. I mean, it's like 100 degrees in the factory some days. Oh, 110. Yeah. The machines throwing heat and everything else, and it's the, the greenhouse effect from the sun beating down on the building. And I don't. Yeah, I mean, when I was younger, it was it was maybe. And I was still my wrestling thing about wrestling. Oh wow, I just probably lost seven pounds. You know, I was like excited. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you don't want to live that world. So what is? Uh, I know we have to wind down here. What is next for Sticker Mule in terms of twenty twenty and beyond? Like, where do you see the company headed? Yeah, when we first started, you know, I said we want to be fast, simple, and fun. I think like right now we're mostly focused on the the fun part. We you know we we did really well in the other two, and are mostly focused on the fun part. And one thing I said to myself lately and I've been telling other people is like, you know, when you hit a certain level of success in business, especially if you're privately owned, we have no investors. We're not a public company. No one has, no one can say you need to grow to get me a return on my money. Like I'm, I'm the sole owner of the company. Um, and when you're in that situation, you get yourself financially comfortable. Um, it's crazy to just keep chasing money. So at a certain point, you got to chase fun. You got to chase doing interesting things in the world. And I think our attitude right now is we're going to keep doing great stuff. We're going to keep making the company better, but we want to use what we did to, to have more fun, inject more fun into the world. Um, and, and, and how do does, things, it, how does that take shape? Though? And I, first of all, I love the fact that I worked for a number of publicly traded companies. I'm in outside sales every quarter. It's like, 30% growth, 30% growth. I'm like, why do we always have to grow? You know, it's like, yeah, what's the, but for them, it's obviously because it's wall street and they you know, need to, yeah, need to. Right. So I get that. But I love that you kind of have this mindset of, Hey, we don't necessarily need to do that just for the sake of growing. You know, if there's yep. something behind it. Yeah. But if it's just grow to grow, not always the best approach. Um, so what, what are some things you guys do in terms of injecting fun? Do you do retreats with the guys or and girls or, uh, we do. I mean, inside the company, we, we've always had fun. Right. Um, you know, I want to, I want to just do our part to make the world a more fun and exciting place and, and, and make people feel enthusiastic and like, let them know that, you know, they can do cool things too. So if you look at like what we're doing recently, I mean, the thousand dollar bonus thing was big. Putting that out into the world was a Huge. good lesson for us that getting it out to 8 million people seeing it was a good lesson for us. That was a positive way to change the world. Um, you know, if you look at us on social, like on Twitter right now, we're actually one of, I think, the most popular brands on Twitter. And that came out of nowhere just from us like leveling up there and trying to inject more enthusiasm in, into the world there. And if you look at uh, like some people of the stuff are so fucking serious, like it's nice to see you guys joking yeah. around once in a while. It's like we don't have to talk in this yeah. rigid business format. You know, we can be yeah. people. Everyone's so serious. And if you look at, you know, people don't realize like we do all these. Uh, we've been doing a lot of funny videos and um we they're all done in house. They're all done by a team from from my small town. Our the star of our video is uh, my friend Vinny. Vinny's been my friend since I was uh, he's my babysitter when I was six years old, and now he works for us. And uh, he he was head of maintenance, but uh, he's the star of our videos, and <laughs> he does all these hysterical things, and people love him. And it's just to say to the world, like, um, look, you don't need yeah, you don't need to take yourself so seriously. Like it's not that hard. I mean, I don't. It's not that hard to be successful. Like a lot of the things that are impeding people from be, being successful, they overcomplicate it. And honestly, I I think because I didn't come from the world of look, uh, I don't know how to put it. like I didn't come from the world of investment money and venture capital and all that stuff. Where I think those people are trying to intimidate outsiders that they can't do it. And you know, we want to do the opposite. Show people like, look, this wasn't that hard. I'm from a small town in upstate New York. I got a manufacturing background and I hired all local, you know, I, sorry, I hired a remote team, but I hired all normal people. Right. We, we don't have people with fancy degrees at Sticker Mule. The people that run the company have been with us from day one. Our head of uh, 
our head of uh, HR was our first employee, started doing customer service. Our CFO started as a factory worker, not with us, but with another company, but she started as a factory worker. In fact, our VP of software was a factory worker before learning to become a programmer in his, in his spare time. Um, our factory manager, one of them, started in customer service, and she's now the factory manager of one factory. The other one is a Jamaican immigrant that come to the United States when he was 16 years old and rose through the ranks of Taco Bell and then joined us and became our factory manager. So, um, you know, the star of our videos is an Italian immigrant that worked in maintenance and used to be my babysitter. So, um, you know, I like, I think like this is what we want to do. Like, you know, show, show the world that, uh, you know, you can have fun and be successful at the same time and success isn't as hard as people make, make it out to be like common sense principles work. Sim- simplicity is one thing I've taken away from this, even for running my, my podcast here. Keep things simple. Um, you don't take yourself too seriously. Last thing yeah. I'll say is, you know, how can, you know, people can go to stickermeal.com you know, for whatever, any, you know, sticker needs, yep. magnet needs, that kind of thing. But any, uh, any, I guess, parting thoughts for potential customers out there, uh, what services you provide, where they can find you, that type of thing. Any offers going on right now? Uh, you know, we run, we run deals all the time. I would say, I would actually say follow us on Twitter, uh, Stickmill at Stickmill. You can get the best sense for our personality and have the most fun. And even if you don't want to buy from us, like you can follow us and have fun and like see our enthusiasm, enjoy our enthusiasm there. And if you do want to buy, like hop on the website and, you know, we got a number of awesome products that are uh, really easy to buy and they'll make you happy and hopefully your friends too. 60 seconds, people. I'm telling you, you I was stressing about a sticker order because I've had one go bad. I went on there, yeah. I'll put on my logo, 60 seconds, it's done. Yeah. Unbelievable quality. I'll never go anywhere else for anything related to this, <laughs> well, brother. It was, awesome. it was awesome you did it. It was awesome you tweeted it. And, you know, that's what ended up, uh, like I said, I don't think there could have been a, a better podcast for, for me to be on to tell to tell my story because, like, wrestling was the turning point in, in, in my life. And I don't usually do podcasts, but I saw this one. I was like, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta talk to this guy. Well, I'm honored, my friend. Thank you so much I'm for your time too. today. You got so many amazing people. I don't even know. I, 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 got, I was intimidated, to, you know, coming on. I mean, you got so many amazing people. <laughs> I don't know how I stack up, but hopefully, uh, you know, some of the kids listening uh, enjoy it. I hope so, too, man. And I think, you know, for any, any kids out there, and I was never a world-beater wrestler. I was okay. But, um, you know, knowing that there's a lot of listeners out there who are not going to be the Jordan Burroughs of the world and, mm-hmm. you know, they have a good wrestling background. I mean, are you guys hiring? If there's any young kids listening or getting ready to come out of their senior year of college, like, what does that look like if they wanted to work for you? We're, we're constantly hiring. I mean, the positions change, but you can go on a website, stickmill.com, front slash careers, and, and see what's available. The positions are constantly changing. Sweet. Um, you know, we're constantly hiring. Um, Cool, man. Well, again, thank you for your time, brother. I look forward to getting this out to the masses. Have a great day, sir. Thank you. This is amazing. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.